Amen. You guys can have a seat. As I was, man, just standing there and worshiping and singing us, I was just praying that, man, we would just say, yes, Lord, all the days of our life. That whatever he would call us to do, wherever he would lead us to go, wherever he would do, our answer would just be, yes, Lord. That we would just be like, today I'm going to follow Jesus. And tomorrow I'm going to wake up and I'm going to do the same thing I did yesterday. I'm just going to follow him no matter what, no matter the cost, no matter the sacrifice. No matter even if I'm in the darkest generation that rejects, hates, reviles God and those who follow him, I am going to follow you today and I'm going to say yes, Lord. I just was just praying that for you. I was praying that for myself. And I think that is a really similar prayer to what our brothers and sisters 113 years ago prayed. That they were just praying, Lord, send me. Choose me. Let me be faithful in my generation. And I woke up today and, uh, man, we were supposed to be on Fountain Mall and we're not on Fountain Mall, breaking news. But we had to find a new venue on short notice. And we were like, okay, well, what about Waco Hall? Or what about Barfield Drawing Room? Or what about the Ferrell Center? And true, it was literally our fourth option. It was like not what we wanted to do. But what's crazy is that 113 years ago, the original speaker at homecoming was George W. Truett. We're standing and sitting in the building that's named after the first speaker of homecoming. And I'm just like, what? That's so weird. It's homecoming week. It was 113 years ago. We're praying the same prayers that they prayed. And it just was a sweet reminder that we're just part of a large tapestry of faithfulness of God's story that he's writing and weaving into Baylor and into our lives. So it was just cool for me to reflect on that this morning and to pray for you while I was over there. Was, hey, would our prayer for this generation, for every single one of us to just be, yes, Lord, I'll go where you want me to go. I'll do what you want me to do. And the goal is not to have a seminary named after me. The goal is to be faithful. I can live, die, and be forgotten and be okay with that because that is faithfulness. Anyway, that's a pre-sermon to the sermon, so I'm just going to go to my notes. But tonight has been a clear theme of prayer. That, man, we've gotten to pray for past, present, and future Baylor students, and that's been sweet. And with the time that I have, which is not a lot, I'm going to try and cover four points on why we pray. Now, notice, usually you'd probably be like, hey, how we pray? And we've kind of skipped that part. We've just let you go for it. And it's like, you know what? Figure it out while you're going. But for the next couple of minutes, we're going to talk about why we did what we just did. And what the purpose of it was. And what does scripture say about prayer? So as I was preparing for this message, I, I was just thinking about stories or illustrations or how to start. And I thought of seventh grade English class. 
<laughs> I don't know what you guys did in seventh grade English class or what that was like for you, but uh, I had a sweet teacher. Her name was Mrs. Isley. She was mid-60s, faithful woman of God, loved the Lord. Uh, I went to Christian private school, K through 12. And Mrs. Isley would start every seventh grade English class with prayer. So she'd ask the class, hey, are there any prayer requests? And she would just be faithful and intentional to pray for every single prayer request that was mentioned. That's amazing. But put your mind in the si- inside of a seventh grade middle school boy. Okay, maybe some of you are chatting with me. Mrs. Isley prayed for every single prayer request that was mentioned. So me and my buddies, we got together one day and we just said that we're going to make up as many prayer requests as we possibly can. And we're going to do this every single day because I wasn't a math major, but I understood that if Mrs. Isley prayed longer, class would be shorter. Okay, so you're picking up what I'm putting down, you're understanding. And that was terrible uh, enough, but it gets worse. Uh, So not only did we do that, we just lied to our teacher, but we decided to make some games with it. While Mrs. Isley would pray, we would try and throw pieces of paper in her hair. Uh, We would try and steal things off of her desk while she was praying without anyone knowing. Uh, And then the worst thing of all was we would take the clock off the wall and change the minute hand and make class even shorter. So she just thought she prayed the entire time. And she was mid-60s, so she had no idea. (laughs) I know I've already confessed this, so I feel good about telling you this story. I haven't, maybe, I've never told her that, so I'll call her after this. Anyway, so that's not the point. The reason I tell you this story, the reason I start there tonight is because a lack of desire to pray is an indicator of a lack of intimacy with God. A lack of desire to pray is an indicator of a lack of intimacy with God. You see, me and my friends wanted nothing to do with God. We wanted to spend zero time with him. Prayer was boring. It was a burden. It was something that prevented us from getting to the things that we actually wanted to do. And we wanted nothing to do with God and we got nothing of God because we missed out on him. And the ways he was trying to pursue intimacy and relationship with us through prayer, we were too distracted. We were too busy and we missed it. And the reason I start there is because I think a lot of us are in the same boat as we're busy and we're distracted and we don't have time for, for prayer. And when we say we don't have time for prayer, what we're really saying is we don't have time for the creator of the universe, the God who loves you and sees you and delights in you. And my concern is that in 113 years, if that trend continues, there won't be another night like this where there won't be a generation of Baylor students who want to petition the Lord and seek his face in prayer because they have failed to seek him, since seek intimacy with him through prayer. So tonight we're gonna look at four points quickly and we're gonna look at uh, the four reasons why we pray. Before we get there, uh, 60 seconds, I wanna tell you what prayer is 
and as best I can in 60 seconds, so here we go. Uh, 60 seconds, prayer is simply, if we boiled it down to this most basic element, is communication, right? It's just talking with the God who created you, the God of the universe. So it's simply communication. My personal definition for prayer is that prayer is an invitation into relationship and an act of dependence. It's an invitation into relationship, meaning that God wants to be in relationship with us. He wants to know what's on our thoughts, on our hearts, on our minds. How do you grow closer to someone? By spending time with them, by talking to them, by being in relationship with them. That's how you grow in intimacy. So it's an invitation into relationship. And prayer is also an act of dependence. It's us simply raising our hand and saying we need help, that we can't do it on our own, that we're inviting God in to guide us, to lead us, to help us, to move. Because apart from him, we can do nothing. So my basic definition for prayer is an invitation into relationship and an act of dependence. So that's what is prayer. Why do we pray? Four reasons. Number one, we pray because it is commanded. We pray because it is commanded. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 to 18 says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Romans 12, 12 says, Be constant in prayer. Colossians 4, 2 says, Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. This should be reason enough for us to pray. Why? Because God's word says so. Right? God's word, 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is breathed out by God and is useful for teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness. These are God's very words to us. God's instructions, God's love letter to us. So what it says we should want to do because it's God's very words to you and me. So that should be enough reason because God tells us to, because God says so. But 1 Thessalonians, right, it also, did you catch this? 1 Thessalonians tells us that this is God's will for our lives. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. His will for your life is to pray, to be close with him in relationship, to grow in intimacy with him in prayer through prayer, by prayer, that you would come to him at all times for all things because he loves you and adores you and wants to help you. That's his will for your life. That we would be constantly going to him, that we would be abiding in him and trusting in him with our thoughts and feelings and decisions throughout the day. That it wouldn't just be something we do for meals, but something that we do all the time. Okay, so it's commanded, but we also pray because it's worship. We pray because it is worship. Psalm 141.2 says, Let my prayer be counted as incense before you and the lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice. Matthew 21.12-14 says, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer. That's Jesus talking. So what these verses are saying is that our prayers are beautiful aroma, a fragrant incense, that they are worship to a holy God. That he is pleased when we come to him. That it is 
a good thing to come to God in prayer. That if he had like a Spotify warped playlist, like it would be our prayers that he just plays on repeat. That is the soundtrack that God sings to, worships to. It is our prayers. And as I'm observing, right, like as I get the privilege of helping lead on campus and just shepherd Baylor students, I'm observing that, man, a lot of people are praying. Highland is praying on Wednesdays. Antioch's praying on Wednesdays. Vertical, us, our leaders are praying on Wednesdays. There is just a movement right now that I don't think is planned. It's just the spirit of God moving in leaders and in students to pray. And that's just really sweet and really unique that I'm just praying alongside other people that, man, this would be a generation that prays, that we would be marked by our prayer life. And I think the reason why we don't view prayer as something we should do more often is because I think we just think we're interrupting God or annoying him or something. Now, uh, man, if I were to FaceTime my dad at 2 a.m., or if any of us were to FaceTime our dads at 2 a.m. or our parents, uh, one, he'd probably wake up if he wakes up. probably wouldn't wake up. But if he did wake up, he'd probably be like, are you hurt? Are you sick? Are you in trouble? Are you in prison? I'd be like, no. And he's like, I'm going to bed. Like, why'd you call me? That's probably what my dad would say. He'd probably be frustrated and annoyed that I woke him up. That's not our heavenly father's response. That is never our heavenly father's response. Our heavenly father is never annoyed when you come to him in prayer, when you petition him, when you run to him, when you ask him something, when you bring your problems and your struggles to him, he delights in it. It's worship to him. He's actually pleased and honored when his children come to him with need and requests. So we pray because it's commanded. We pray because it's worship and we pray because it is powerful. We pray because it is powerful. James 5, 16 to 17 says, therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Our prayers, did you catch that? Are powerful and effective. That we're not just praying to empty walls or to a ceiling. That we're not just praying up in the air. Our prayers have power. That they actually do things. They move things in the kingdom of God. And that prayer is actually the key to unlocking the kingdom. It's the secret sauce. It holds everything together. And that's because it has nothing to do with us. When we pray, we're putting it in God's hands. And God is sovereign and he is in control and he is all powerful. And two quick things. One, God hears all prayers, right? So God hears your prayers. That's how we know our prayers are powerful is because he just, he hears everything, right? Everything, you know, we were all praying at the same time, which is really confusing for me. He heard everything clearly, you know, no fuzz, no static, Heard every word. And hearing doesn't mean answering. Hearing means nearness and closeness. Hearing means nearness and closeness. It means that God is near to you. He's close to you because he loves you and wants relationship with you. So, uh, man, I just got married a couple weeks ago. Uh, My wife uh, loves to have conversations with me in different rooms. Uh, I don't know if you guys are like that. 
but I'll be in the kitchen, she'll be in the bathroom, and I'm like, she's asking me a question or something, like, I can't hear you. Like, you're in a different room. Like, either you need to come into this room or ask me to come in there. And she's too far away, I can't hear her. God is not distant. God is never far off. Our God is near and he hears all of our prayers. Not only does he hear all of our prayers, but he answers every prayer. Now, he might not answer every prayer in the way that we want, expect, or desire, but God answers every prayer, right? Isaiah 55, 8 and 9 just says, For my ways are not your ways, and my thoughts are not your thoughts. For as my ways are higher than the heavens, so are my thoughts and your thoughts, and my ways and your ways. God is all-knowing. He's all-powerful. He is in control. And we might not know what he's doing and what he is up to, but we can always know that he is working for our good. We can always know that he's working for our good. That when we pray, he moves. And when he's moving, he's working for our good. And then finally, point number four, we pray because Jesus prayed. We pray because Jesus prayed. Mark 1.35 says, And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. Luke 6.12, In these days he went out to the mountain to pray. Luke 5.16, But he would withdraw to desolate places to pray. All these scriptures point to the fact that Jesus had a habit of prayer. These scriptures also point to the fact point out the fact that Jesus himself felt that he needed to pray before going out and doing anything that day, doing any bit of ministry, teaching any message. He felt like he needed to pray. Now think about that, what I just said. Jesus felt like he needed to pray every single day. Jesus was 100% man and 100% God. And he felt the need to pray every single day. Day, how much more should we feel the need to pray? To do anything for the sake of the kingdom or for the glory of God. So we pray because it's commanded, we pray because it's worship, we pray because it's powerful, and we pray because Jesus prayed. That's why we pray. Because if we don't pray, if you do not pray, you will become prey. Do you know what I mean by that? If you don't pray, you will become prey. You see, there's an enemy who wants to distract you, discourage you, destroy you. There's a very real enemy. All of us, all believers have a big bullseye on our back. And he is seeking to take us out. With anything, with any distraction, with any discouragement. And if we do not pray, if we do, no, do not constantly go to our Father in prayer and cast our anxieties on him and ask him for help and petition him to lead the way, to show us where to go and be faithful and what to say yes to, we will drift in our intimacy with him. I have this article, uh, it's just this printed article that I found on Desiring God a couple years ago, and I printed it out and I put it on my desk, and I, I literally grabbed it this morning, and it just sits there every morning, 
And I'll look at it and I'll pass by my desk and I'll look at it and sometimes I'll read it. And this article is titled, Keep Him From His Knees. Five Ways Satan Silences Prayer. I'm not going to read all five points. We don't have time for that. You can look it up. But the reason I just highlight that again is because this is very real. It's like, man, the enemy wants your prayer life. He wants you to think you're too busy, that you don't need it, that you've got it all figured out, that you can be wise in your own eyes, that you don't need to invite the Lord into it. And he wants us to forget about prayer, to neglect prayer. And what one generation tolerates, another generation will forget about. And that's why this is so important for us to understand why we pray and how to pray. It's so that when we have kids or grandkids, they know how to pray because their grandparents and their parents were fluent in prayer. I I just pray that it would never be true of us that they don't know how to pray because we didn't teach them. I pray that we would teach the next generation to pray the importance of it, why we do it, the desire for it, the intimacy that, uh, with God that we get because of prayer. So that's why we pray. It's because there's a very real enemy who wants to distract you and discourage you. And there's also a very real God and Father who wants your heart more than anything and desires intimacy and relationship with you. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful that we get to approach a holy, perfect, righteous God in this way. That we get to have relationship with you through prayer. We're grateful that we serve a God who wants us to speak to him. Who doesn't want us to stay away from him, who, but who wants us to draw near to him. So Father, we just are here tonight and confess. We confess our lack of desire to pray. We confess that we don't pray in the way that we should. We confess that we don't know how to pray the way that you taught us. We confess that we don't have a heart for prayer. So Father, would you work in our hearts? Would you remove barriers? Would you break down walls? Would you give us a heart of prayer? Because our faith life is not the only life at stake, but the lives and the faith of future generations. That we would pray for those we would encounter and meet. That we get to love and encourage and be Jesus too. 
Father, you would use our prayer lives to spark and ember and ignite faith in other people. That we would be a generation known for our bruised knees. That we'd be known for the time that we spent face to face with God before you, prostrate on the floor, praying for you to move in our lives and the lives of others. Father, thank you for the gift of prayer that we can come to you whenever, wherever, and however many times we need, that you're not appalled by that, but you invite it, that you want your children to know you through prayer. Father, we love you and we're grateful for you.